Hey docs, welcome to the Female Physician Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm the host, Dr. Sharon McLaughlin. We are the premier location where women physicians learn about business so that they can have the freedom to live their best life. We have this podcast, we have a supportive community of over 9,000 women physicians, we create opportunities for each other, and we network. We have a summit twice a year, which is absolutely free. I've created a journal to take a deep dive into what you really want. Lastly, we've created a business school all about community and accountability. We're going to have masterclasses, we're going to have group coaching, and we're going to have actionable steps. You'll be given a blueprint for your business. And this will launch September 2022. Come and learn from industry experts because I truly believe that not one person knows it all. And the more people that you listen to, you'll have better ideas. We're going to have brainstorming sessions as well, but it truly is all about community and accountability. Make sure you get on the early bird pricing. That will be $500 for the full year. Yes, you heard me right, $500 for the full year. You don't need a high ticket item to learn about business. I've been through this before. I've built up other businesses. I've helped other people. And if we all come together, which I'm planning on doing, you'll see that we're going to have a ton of value at a very low cost price. On top of that, I want you to witness how this can be done. So come and join me as I build out our Female Physician Entrepreneurs Business School. You will be absolutely amazed. Hey guys, thank you so much for being here. Tonight we have Dr. Ronnie Shalev. You guys know her from the Female Physician Entrepreneurs Group, our group. Thank you for doing this, Ronnie. I wanted to mention that Ronnie does investing real estate investing with multifamily. But for SEC purposes, Ronnie's coming in as a sponsor for our business school. I can't endorse her. She's here purely for education. She's a female physician entrepreneur. She's an emergency room doctor that was able to replace her income and doing real estate with her husband. Ronnie, I know that you've been doing this for a while and please go ahead and introduce yourself. And thank you so much for doing this. Yes. Thank you so much, Sharon. I love that you're doing your business school and I'm really happy that I get to participate and to be part of it. I'm going to be talking about passive real estate investing for beginners, but really before I start and start talking about that, I want to talk about really, you know, this woman right here in this picture, this is me board certified ER physician. You know, I was did my certification twice. I was credentialed at five facilities. I published journals. I presented at conferences. I was part of leadership programs. I was chair of the peer review committee, hospital credentialing, infection control, you name it. But I was unhappy. I was so unhappy. I was burnt out. I was exhausted. I was stressed. I was, I felt trapped. So people ask me, you know, why did you leave medicine? I remember a day, it was a shift that I was working. I was alone. I was the only doctor in the entire ER. There was no scribe, no mid-level. It was around 10 PM and I was treating stroke patients, two stroke patients actually at the same time. I had an asthmatic patient in respiratory distress. I had a patient that was having a heart attack. The waiting room was full. There wasn't an empty chair. You could see the pain and the frustration on the faces of the patients and their families. On top of it, there, I mean, there was 
like a line of ambulances waiting to get checked in. I looked up at that clock. When was my relief coming? Eight hours. I was like, oh my God. I mean, the stress level was unbearable. I had no choice, you know, the stress was crazy. I couldn't breathe. I mean, I was responsible for all of these people. You see the administrators had cut the physician hours, the mid-level hours, leaving only one doctor responsible for everyone who was walked into the ER or was already there. I had no choice. I put my head down, did what I was told. I took care of everyone at the expense of my own health. I didn't eat, I didn't drink, I didn't pee that night. I got home, I was so exhausted, I just collapsed on the bed. I was still wearing my scrubs and I slept the rest of the day. My family didn't understand why I was so tired. You know, my kids were like, let's go to the park, let's go here, let's go there. And I was like, no. You know, they didn't understand that I had taken care of 50 patients that night in the face of extreme liability with like limited resources. I mean, how could they? It's hard to fathom. What else was I supposed to do? I was a high paid hourly worker. I was tied to my job. I was told by administrators with no medical education how to practice medicine and how quickly to see those patients. And oh, they made sure to tell me that if my metrics weren't great, they wouldn't renew my contract and I could be terminated. I started to wonder why I loved this job in the first place. I said to myself, something has to change. It was really about that time that a friend told me about real estate investing. He owned a piece of several hundred or a hundred 7-Elevens and received a check every quarter, really without doing any work. And he called it passive income. And I thought to myself, this sounds like a pyramid scheme or something. Something's not right. It's too good to be true. Maybe I could lose all my money. You know, the first thing as physicians, we're used to people trying to swindle us or, you know, so I was very untrusting, but I was so frustrated. I'd had enough, enough of what was going on at the hospital with my administration. I was frustrated enough with trading my health and my well-being for money. So I said, you know what? I decided to give it a shot. I told my husband, you know, why not? I mean, the likelihood that real estate's value goes to zero is almost impossible. So, you know, my husband and I decided to start small on our first investment and oh my gosh, it worked. And we started, we, we started getting checks every quarter and we thought, well, if this works once, maybe it'll work again and maybe it'll work again and maybe it'll work again. And it did. And today I'm here, I'm a real estate investor. I spent you know, my time learning about passive real estate investing. My husband and I formed a company where we purchase apartment communities. We improve them for the tenants and then we make money for the investors. I was able to break free of that job. I was financially independent and I'm still mission driven. I still didn't lose that, that that sense that I wanted to still help people, I was still able to do that by now by helping physicians. I'm not giving tax advice, I'm not giving legal advice. This isn't an investment, I'm not pitching anything. I'm solely educating them, really nothing else. 
I'm going to talk about my passion, which is real estate and the benefits of investing in real estate, how you can invest in real estate, how appreciation differs in residential versus commercial real estate, why I love apartments, how syndications work and what kind of returns you see and what are the, the tax benefits. So really, I'm just going to be touching the surface. So benefits of real estate investing. Well, you get cash flow. These are from the rents that are being paid. Appreciation, the value of the property goes up. You get tax benefits, which I'll get into. You have these risk-adjusted returns because you're actually purchasing a functioning business. So your risk is really adjusted because even if the whole business goes out of business, like meaning 100% of the tenants move out, you still have the land and the building. So really your risk is mitigated. It's a great hedge for inflation. There's capital preservation because again, you still have that building, that land, and it allows you to diversify. So really real estate provides the highest returns, the greatest value with the least risk. And that's really what drew me to it versus the 401k that you know we're told to start putting our money into and our savings and then you have a good job and you own your house and and you should be you should be fine you should be able to retire but there's no way you can retire just on that so there's many ways to invest in real estate you can be active where you're buying houses you're buying properties you're doing things to them you're or you can be passive where other people are doing that for you you can be investing in residential properties. These are just single family homes, or you can invest in commercial properties. I help you invest passively in commercial real estate. So why do I like commercial real estate versus residential? One of the biggest things is how the property is valued, how it appreciates. Okay. So for residential or single family homes, these are based on home sale comps. Susie and Mike live down the street and they just sold their house for $1 million. Maybe I can get a million or maybe 1.2 in three years based on home sale comps. Commercial real estate is different. It's actually based on the net operating income that the property is generating. And so if you can raise that income, then you're creating value. And everybody recognizes it, including banks and other buyers of, of stuff. So it's really amazing because you can significantly increase the NOI or the net operating income just with some tweaks to the business. So how do you create value? Well, you can raise rent. How do you raise rents? Well, you can do something that's called organic rent growth. Okay. So that is the market is going up. Rents are being renewed. Every time the tenant is re renewing their lease, it goes up by, you know, 5%, maybe 3%. Actually organic rent growth in DFW, which is where I'm from Dallas, it's between seven and 15%, depending on, the, but I don't think that's going to continue. There's also, how do you, how else do you raise rents? Well, there's something called forced appreciation or forced rent growth. And that's when you're upgrading these units. And then you're saying to the, to the future tenant, Hey, oh, you can have this classic unit for a thousand dollars or for $1,100, you can have this amazing upgraded unit, you know, so, and they can choose which one they want. And many times they'll pay for that. And again, you're raising the rents that way. You can also bring another income. You can charge for reserved parking, covered parking, pet fees, pet rent, 
laundry rooms, you can start creating private yards. So there's a lot of other ways to increase income. Um, another way to increase your net operating income is you lower your expenses. So if you're in charge and paying the water bill, you know, we, we put in water efficient toilets and showers. We lower our water bills. We do a water conservation that translates to value in the property. We put LED lighting, energy efficient windows, electric bundle renegotiations, and even staffing efficiencies can lower expenses. Okay, so we said, okay, I like commercial properties. What kind? Well, there's a lot. <laughs> there's office buildings, there's shopping centers, there's retail, there's RV parks, there's mobile homes, self-storage, hotels, mixed use. You can invest in parking lots. You can invest in amusement parks, zoos, and you can invest in multifamily. And multifamily breaks down even further. There's low-income housing, student housing, assisted living, there's apartments, and even apartments breaks down even further. You can invest in high-rises, low-rises, different classes. So you have a lot of different asset classes that you can choose from. I chose apartments. Why do I like apartments? I decided that I'm looking for something that's safe. And I feel like apartments is safe. Why? Well, people will always need a place to live. They could be shopping online. They're doing it from their apartment. They could be working remote. They're doing it from their apartment. They're not going into the retail centers or the office real estate. So the apartments, there's, there's a demand. Also, there's rising single family home prices. They're creating a renter's market. People can't afford to live and to buy a home anymore. So I, one of the reasons, again, is the demand. There's people that, there's the renters, there's people that want to live in apartments also. And there's also people that have no choice and have no other options. They live in apartments. The people that want to, these are the people that don't want to be tied down. They don't want unexpected expenses. They're the elderly. They're, they're, they're people that are downsizing their homes. They don't want the unexpected tree falling on their roof and now they have to pay for everything. They don't want these surprises. So they, a lot of times they'll sell their homes and they will move into apartments. With apartments, you can have something called economies of scale. When you have 200 apartments, I'm buying 200 floors and 200 carpets and 200 toilets. I can really save money on supplies with the supply chain. I can also share property manager companies and employees within the different apartments. And also, you know, when you have a single family home and you're investing in that, if one person, if that person moves out and you can't rent it for two or three months, you're stressed. But when you have 200 apartments, and 10 people move out or five people move out, you're not that stressed. You know, it's the other people cover the expenses. So again, we talked about the high demand economies of scale and apartments have a lot of tax benefits. So what are the tax benefits? Well, there's something called depreciation. Real estate depreciation is defined as an income tax deduction that allows the taxpayer to recover the cost of the real estate investment. Okay. So basically you can deduct things from, you're telling the IRS that your property is losing value, even though the value is actually going up and you might, and you're probably making money on it. That's called depreciation. And with apartments, 
you can get way more because a lot of the depreciation that is taken apart by these studies is component based. So if you have, um, think about if you're investing in a self-storage facility, there's not a lot of components to that building. It's, it's like a metal frame and maybe there's an air conditioning unit, maybe there's a window. There's not a lot of components to the building, but with apartments, Again, there's 200 kitchens, there's 200 bathrooms, 200 cabinets, 200 lighting fixtures and plumbing and all of that, you get a large depreciation sum. And then now there's something called bonus depreciation. This is a form of accelerated depreciation that allows you to take 100% of what you would be taking over the next 27 years, actually in the first year of ownership. This is something that the Trump administration put into place in 2018. And unfortunately, it is being phased out. So 2022 is the last year that you get 100% in the first year. You can still take the depreciation, but it's not in an accelerated form. Next year, it'll be 80%. And then, you know, I'm not sure if it goes to 60 or 50, but it slowly sunsets. So there's, like I said, there's different types of asset classes, and there's also different types within that of classes of properties. There's class A. These are the newly built apartments, okay? These are the high rises. They're less than 10 years old. They've got modern amenities, high-end furnishings and finishes and granite countertops, stainless steel appliances. Class B and C are a little bit older. They're 10 to 30 years old. B is they're in pretty good condition, good location. C, they're older. There's visible deterioration, maybe outdated plumbing or electric. Maybe it's a less desirable location. In the class D properties, these are just deteriorated. They're older. There's low income tenants. There's probably high crime rate around that area. But you know what? All four of these make money. All of them make money. So whichever you're investing in, it makes money. It just matters what kind of business plan you implement. So for a class A property, your business plan is to hold that property for a long time. You're not going to really do anything to it. You're just going to hold it and organic rent growth raises that rent up. Class B and C properties, you're going to go in there and you're going to make them better. You're going to change the windows, update the plumbing, the electric, paint them put backsplashes, new kitchens, things like that, rip out the carpets. You're gonna make them, you're gonna try to make them as nice as a class A property, but cheaper. So when someone says, hey, where should I live? Should I pay you know, this fee for a class A or this amount for a class B? And you, you have a lot of options. And for class D, the business plan is totally different. You tap into the government section eight and a lot of the government programs to help with that. So how can you invest passively in real estate? There's a lot of different ways, and this is not an all-inclusive way, but there's something called a real estate investment trust. This is where investors purchase a share of a company and that owns and operates income-producing real estate. Okay, This is very much like a stock. It's very liquid. You can sell it and you can get in and out of it. The thing is, is with this is you're not really investing. You're not owning the real estate. You are owning a piece of that company. There's something called crowdfunding. This is, these are the online platforms like CrowdStreet, Equity Multiple, Fundrise. These are a bunch of strangers that don't really know each other, but they're pooling their money together to buy large properties. And a lot of these crowdfunding sites, you can 
put in less money, you know, maybe $10,000, maybe $20,000, but you're, you really don't, there's, everybody's going in together. Now a syndication is very similar, except for, you know, the people that are doing the syndications. So you might know the operators or the general partners, and it's not, it's a little bit larger investments and they're, you're putting your money in together. Everyone's pooling it together and you're purchasing a large asset. Now a syndication, you can do a syndication to buy really anything. You can buy boats, you can buy barges, you can buy MRI centers, hospitals. So you can syndicate a lot of different things. It just basically means putting a lot of people together to buy something. And then there's something called a real estate fund. This is where investors put money into the fund and that fund goes and purchases different properties. So I do syndications in the real estate fund. These are the two things that I do. So what is the business plan? Okay, so there, there's always a business plan in these commercial properties because you're trying to raise the net operating income. So you can do a buy and hold. So you buy it. These are usually the class A properties. You buy it and you hold it for however long the, until the value goes up. And then you either, and you sell it or you refinance it and, and do it again. Just hold it some more. Then there's something called value add. That's the value add strategy that I kind of talked about where you're improving the facility, improving the kitchens, improving the apartments, the amenities, that's value add. And then there's the refinance and hold. So you might buy it, you might raise the net operating income, maybe do some sort of value add, then you refinance it, then you hold it. Again, there's all kinds of variations from that. When you are buying, usually as a, in a syndication, it is the limited partners and the general partners. These are terminology, LP, GP. A limited partner is the passive investor. The general partner is the general sponsor or the operator. So I'll tell you the difference between them. A limited partner puts their money in, okay? They're the ones that are leveraging the experience of the experts. They're leveraging other people's time, other people's money, and other people's expertise. So that's them being a limited partner. And a lot of times you, with a limp, being a limited partner, you have limited liability as well. So you're not signing on the bank loans and you're not, if there's a lawsuit, like a tree falls and someone dies or a fire and someone is hurt, you are not liable. A general partner, on the other hand, these are the people that are finding the deals they're the ones that are doing the financial underwriting, the financial analysis. They're the ones that are developing relationships with brokers so that they can get deal flow. They're the ones that are walking the properties and doing the due diligence. They're, they're the ones that are looking at the properties, they're doing physical due diligence, and then they do the financial due diligence. They're looking to make sure that the leases are actual real people and how much are they paying and what's the net operating income. And they're the ones that are creating that plan. What are we going to do to this? specific apartment to make that NOI higher? Are we going to just do all the kitchens or maybe we'll just do 50 reserved parking, 50 yards, and we'll only do 25 kitchens. So, you know, they're, they're the ones that create that business plan. Once they create that business plan, they do all the marketing, they do the legal paperwork, they get the legal team, they create the team, they raise the money, they sign on the bank loan, 
they're the ones that are executing this entire thing. So after they get the property under contract, they're the ones that are making all these renovations and make sure, making sure that everything is going to plan. And then at the end, they're the ones that sell or decide to refinance. So really, they're really steering the ship and the limited partners are the passengers. So how is the splits between them? Well, you can see a lot of different splits. You might see an 80-20 split. An 80-20 split is typically 80% goes to the limited partners. So the passive investors get 80% of the money and 20% goes to the general partner. That's an 80-20 split. There's a 70-30, 70% goes to the limited partner and 30% goes to the general partner. You could also get oh, something called a waterfall where it starts off 80-20, then it turns to 70-30. Then when the property hits a certain net operating income, it goes to 50-50. Again, there are so many variations and it really is dependent on the deal. But these are terms that's important to understand and to know. There's something called a preferred return. That means that the investor gets paid first before anybody else gets paid. So there's pluses and minuses to that. And, you know, I can go into that, but I don't have a lot of time today. So typically the time frame for these, depending on the deal, they're usually between three to five years. If it's a newer property that is really a buy and hold type of play, sometimes it's seven to 10 years, but that's typically the time frame. Minimum investment is between fifty and one hundred thousand dollars, but again, we see a gamut. I in my last deal, I had someone put in one point two five million, and then I also had someone put in fifty. So you know, there's a wide variety, and it really depends on the investor themselves. So how do we get paid? Well, really, the biggest thing that we get as a sponsor, the general partner, you know, they get paid when the asset is sold. So we still own it. So every, everybody's interest is aligned. Everybody gets paid when the asset is sold and the property appreciates in value. But there are acquisition fees. Typically, you'll see a 1% to 3% acquisition fee. There's an asset management fee. This is really managing the asset for the last, for the, the five years or the 10 years. Usually those are the fees. And then there's a, oftentimes a, a disposition fee. Sometimes it's 0%, sometimes it's 2%, sometimes it's in between 0.5%, you know, and that depends on what is a disposition fee. That's like if you're refinancing or if you're reselling, there's an extra fee at the end. So my husband and I started Shawin Properties. We do value add strategy. So we are focusing on recession resistant assets, class B and class C properties. So we don't typically buy the brand new and we don't typically buy this because we, again, I want safety. I want less risk. So I'm focusing on these class B and C. I mean, when people are in, living in class A properties and then there's the, you know, the recession like is starting right now, they want to tighten their belt. You know, they're going to Dollar General to shop, they're going to Walmart to shop, and now they might say, you know what, I don't need this fancy apartment, I'm going to move to a Class B. And the people that live in Class Bs might move to Class C, but it seems to be like well, that's where the tenants live. I'm focusing on 150 units and up typically because the bigger, the less risk, again, economies of scale. I partner with experienced operators, and typically I do three to five year holds. So I'm going to do an example of a deal. Let's pretend this is a hundred unit property. This is completely made up example. The purchase price is $10 million. And just like when you're buying a house, you have to do a down payment. 
Okay, so here I'm coming and you know, I want to buy this $10 million apartment complex, I have to do, you know, 30% down payment, I don't have $3 million. So what do I do? That's where I form my syndication. And I find limited partners that want to help put that money in to that down payment. Then there's the biggest investor. Who's the biggest investor? The bank, the bank's putting $7 million. So, you know, you can bet your, your, but <laughs> that, that they're doing their due diligence. They're making sure that what is being said is being said, that all of the numbers, they're, they're also doing the financial analysis. In this deal, it's an 80-20 split. 80% goes to the limited partners, 20% goes to the general partners. And we say, oh, well, you know, we're going to give cash flow 8% over five years. And you're going to get unrelated to that in year one tax savings or K1 that has depreciation between 75 to 95% of your investment. And year five, we end up selling it for 11.5 million. So in five years, we've sold it for 11.5 million. Okay. So how does this look typically? Well, typically this is kind of the returns over five years. So if you put in a hundred thousand dollars, of the cash flow, you're going to get, let's say, 4% in year one, and then it starts going up year two, year three, year four, and year five. So four plus six plus eight plus 10 plus 12 divided by five, it's around an average of 8%. Now, usually the first year of ownership is the lowest cash flow, and that's because that's the year that you're stabilizing. That's the year that people are moving out or getting evicted, and you're, you're turning over the tenants, you're improving the property, and you're raising the demographic and the, the NOI. So in this example, in the first year, you put in 100000 you get 4000 the first year, year two, 6000 8000 10000 12000 Then on year five, we sell. You get your money back that you put in, 100 and then you're getting another 40,000. So in the end of the five years, you've gotten $180,000 total. So that's around 1.8X. Now, if the sponsor is operating really well and really efficiently, and they do this in three years, then instead of a 16% average annual return over five years, it ends up being you know 30 or I don't know, 80 divided by, <laughs> by three. So it's like, 25% return. So again, these numbers are projections, but they're not actuals, but you can kind of see how it works. And then the larger amounts that you put in, the more that you get at the end as well. So this is my husband and I that we started our company. My husband has 20 years of construction experience. He does, he's a business owner and entrepreneur, and he's the, he's very handy because he can walk those properties even before we have them under contract and can see, okay, the foundation is off. We're going to need to change the roof. We're going to need to change the plumbing. We get to build, bake that into our, our underwriting and we don't get any huge surprises. He also is the one that is part of the acquisitions process. So he makes, he has the relationships with the brokers and with the bankers. And so he's on the deal flow side. I help on the back end investor relations and the marketing and the asset management. Both of us are on all the asset management calls making sure that the property management company is doing everything that they said they would. So picture a day 
when you can go to work because you want to go to work. Picture a day when you can travel if you want to travel, serve people if you want to serve people. Picture a day where your spouse says to you, hey, I really like the freedom that we have. I really think that you look like you're just healthier and you're happier. And I really like the place that we're at. And that's what real estate investing can do for you. That's what it's done for me and my family. I'm a huge proponent. And, you know, if you guys are interested in scheduling a call with me to learn about passive real estate investing at calendly.com forward slash Shaolin properties, you can schedule a call with me and I'll be happy to, to chat. It's, I'm not selling you anything. I'm, it, it can be just discussing what you want and see if, you know, it's a good fit. Don't wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and you wait. Ronnie, I had a few questions. Okay. Student housing. There's tons of housing all around. I was always concerned because I'm like, they're going to trash the place. What are your feelings on student housing? Well, you know, the parents are signers. So, and then you get deposits. The big thing that people that invested in student housing did not expect was COVID. So student housing got hit bad because a lot of the colleges sent their students home and they worked remote. So people moved out of their student housing. So it did suffer during COVID, but I mean... Again, of all the asset classes, apartments did pretty well, and but a lot of the other ones were hit, unsurprised. I mean, who could have known that that was going to happen? It looks like Julie has a question. How would one search for a local syndicate? So that's a great question. Syndications are SEC regulated, so you're buying and selling securities. A lot of times, depending on the type of regulation, you need to know the the syndicator or the operator or the sponsor. So there's something called a 506B regulate, regulated event, and you have to have a pre-existing relationship. And that's what hopping on a call with someone like me would happen. Now you're looking for a local one. You know, the question is, is why, you know, you, you can invest anywhere. And when someone is an expert in multiple different, this is where you leverage other people's knowledge of different markets and different submarkets. And you really want to be investing. When you invest, you really want to make sure you're investing in landlord-friendly states because the last thing you want is to be investing in a place where you can't evict someone. In California, there's people that have been living for two years and you can't evict them. So that really tanks your net operating income <laughs> when you're not bringing in income. But it's also very important to look for a market that is growing. You want multiple economic drivers, multiple different types of employers. You know, you don't want just one factory that just closes down and all their factory workers move away and then your apartment complex is sitting empty. You want multiple different types of industries. You want a growing market. And this is where you're leveraging other people that are experts in that market. Ronnie, there's a tax advantage for syndications. Keep in mind for K-1, the depreciation. I think she's referring yeah. to the K-1. Yeah. So I just, so I'll give you an example. I put in $50,000 in an investment. So I invest passively with other syndicators and actively in my own deal. So I do both. I still do both. And why do I do that? I do that to leverage other people. Again, that's how you get explosive financial growth is leveraging other people. You can't just do everything yourself. You have to leverage other people. So I put in $50,000 into an investment and I got a K-1 that year 
that was a minus 49,000. So basically I was making money, but the government was told legally that I lost $49,000. Now, what do I do with that? Well, that minus 49,000 is a loss. Now it only is a loss against passive income. So that $4,000 that I got the first year, I'm not taxed on that because I lost 49,000. And if I don't use that whole 49,000, I can carry that forward in the tax year. So that 4,000, that 6,000, that 8,000, all of that money is tax-free because I've lost all that money in that first year of ownership. So that's what's amazing. And that's what you can, you don't paying taxes on that. You can take that money and put it in another investment and you really can compound and grow and grow and grow. Do you want to say a word on real estate rep? So real estate professional status, I don't know if it's that relevant for female physician entrepreneurs, right? Because you have to be 100% in real estate to get this tax status. For the normal professional person that has a job or has their own business and they're passively investing, really that's kind of how the K-1 works. But I'll tell you, if you put your money in the Walmart stock and if it's paying dividends, you're paying taxes on those dividends. If your money is sitting in a, in a savings account earning whatever it is now, 0.1% interest, you're going to get a tax form to pay taxes on that, on that interest that you earned. So this is what makes real estate such a great vehicle because our number one expense in life is taxes. So why not learn to reduce them legally? A couple more questions. Can one use funds in retirement accounts for syndication? Yes. So you can, there's a lot of different companies out there that help you with self-directed IRAs or self-directed 401ks. If you want to reach out to me, I'll be happy to refer you to the company that I use. I feel like the service level is different between the companies, kind of you get what you pay for. And there's some companies that are very difficult to deal with and they're very cheap upfront and then people really suffer when they have them. So I'll be happy to recommend some. And then another one, can you, there's a lot of fear right now about the economy and investing and how do you speak to this? The feds are talking about raising the rates again, I think, right? With of course, there's going to be fear in the news. This is why I choose recession resistant assets, because there might be ups and downs. There will be ups and downs in the cycle. Okay. There's always going to be ups and downs, but if the, the fundamentals are there, the, there's not enough housing in the United States of America, and there's not going to be an, enough for the next 20 years. Even if they build a ton of, of apartments, there's just not going to be enough. And if you're choosing these markets where everybody's moving to these markets, then how, you know, it just, the fundamentals are there. So they make sense. Now, when the interest rates go up, they are up. And they will continue to go up, but they're still lower than they were in 2008. They were just historically very, very low in the last five years, but they're still cheap debt. And even in high interest rate, you can still make money in real estate because you're using the bank's money to buy something that's going up. And, and that's what's making it, you know, with apartments, you're hedging against inflation. With an apartment, every single year, the tenant has to renew their lease. And every year you're bumping those rents up. Just like every year, 
the, va the value of the dollar is going up. So it's, it's really in alignment with inflation. Compared to like a 20-year lease, like a triple net lease, you put in a Walmart into a building, you know, they're not renewing for 20 years. So whatever you locked in 20 years ago is, is what your net operating income is. So if, you know, organic rent growth has gone crazy, you can't catch up as much. And you really are not keeping up with inflation with those type of assets. I hope that answered it. Absolutely. Ronnie did a great job. You took an area of being burnt out in your life and said, what else can I do? And you moved into this and I'm so glad your husband's on board. I think it's great that the two of you guys can do this together, bounce ideas off of each other. How long have you been doing this? You started back in 14, 15? Yeah. In 2014, I started doing it passively. And during the time that I was doing it passively, that's when I got educated. I joined mm -hmm. mentorship programs and I did conferences and podcasts and books. And, and I, I did it like real time where I was investing in certain things to, to see how it worked and definitely just learned. And it, it was a jump. It's totally different from medicine, but it's easier than medicine. <laughs> medicine, there's all these like landmines and zebras and this is cookie cutter stuff. You're taking only a few different things and making it better. There's not that many variety of options that you can do to an apartment. So I really like that. You know, I had enough of the crazy questions of like, what does this patient have when they're dizzy or they passed out or whatever it is, you're trying to figure it out. This is nothing like that. It's like way, way easier. Thank you so much for doing this for us. Thank you for sponsoring our business program. Second, I think that financial literacy is something that as women physicians, we can work on. Not everyone, a lot of us though. I believe that we're so busy. We're constantly working in our business, right? But not on our, like that's what we do. We constantly in it. And we don't take this time to step out and realize what we're doing, taking our hard earned money and investing it and just kind of making a CD or throwing it in the bank or doing a stock or, you know, so I'm glad that you're able to come on and talk to us about this. Well, thank you, Sharon. I appreciate you and what you do for everybody. Oh, no, I wish I could do more. Julie said, thank you so much for the talk. I knew nothing about syndications until you mentioned it last week. And she's learning a ton. Yeah, it's, it's all That's starts awesome. here, Julie. It just starts off with like an idea or a seed is planted. And if you want to get into it, you look into it and reach out to Ronnie since she's been doing this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Female Physician Entrepreneurs Podcast. If you like us, please give us a nice review and tell your family and friends about us. We'll see you on another episode.